100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three bedroom, one and a half bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk anything like that so if you head over to airbnb and search elk cross and getaway in the pa wilds you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message an inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here then we'll get you 10 percent off of your first day are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Jim Hole Jr. of Classic Outfitters and Chris Derrick of Sika Gear. So myself and Chris spent the second week in November testing gear and hunting deer in the Edmonton bow zone of Alberta with Jim. So we discuss Jim's authentic outfitting approach, airlines losing luggage, having your systems dialed, cold weather gear, stories from the week, and the iconic story of Jim's number two biggest typical buck ever killed in Alberta. Uh, so first of all, I apologize for uh, <clears throat> my voice. I've been sick uh, throughout my hunt in West Virginia, which I'll, I'll give a full update on that uh, next week when I do an episode kind of recapping Pennsylvania and West Virginia. So I'm not going to get into any of that right now. But I want to start out with the Mountain Buck Monday story. Uh, we got... Actually, it's kind of two stories combined into one from Rocky Smith in Alabama. Rocky said, I was fortunate to harvest two mountain bucks in northern Alabama public land last fall. The first buck was one I had been after all season, and I finally got a crack at him on the last rifle hunt for that area. I had several pictures of the buck throughout the fall but had almost given up mentally as I was planning for off-season scouting. A strong rainstorm came through an hour before daylight, which had the buck on his feet after it cleared. This buck was a 12-point, nine points with three kickers. I took him over two miles deep in the big woods on a ridge system with bluffs and mountain laurel. I got my second mountain buck for the this last season one week after I harvested the 12 point. This was a nice nine point taken off of one of my favorite areas on my first hunt on this particular piece of public for the season. I had historic historical data to know that the buck should be cruising in this area in pre-rut patterns. The buck came through just before the end of shooting light on a trail on a bench coming out of a thicket into the hardwoods. This was a special treat as I had no pictures from this area for the season at that time. I started hunting steep country in northern Alabama seven years ago after hunting swamps and rolling land my whole life. I've listened to your podcast for over two years and it has helped me make connections and lead to success on almost a dozen bucks since making the transition. These two bucks were my best North Alabama mountain bucks yet. Thank you for providing good information weekly. Well, thank you for listening, Rocky. And, and uh, you're obviously doing something right because everyone should head over to the East Meets West Hunt uh, on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook and check out the photos of these bucks that that I have posted of Rocky's deer. I mean, just awesome deer and getting it done, you know, being this successful in Northern Alabama in the big woods. I mean, he's doing something right. So congratulations, Rocky, beautiful deer. And, um, I'm sure you're going to have continued success. Uh, looking forward to hearing your stories from this year. And if you want to send in your own uh, Mountain Buck Monday story, send it into bowdeesmeetswesthunt.com. Just send in a couple photos and a paragraph describing the hunt and love to share it with everybody. I love being able to share these stories. So, uh, in other news, so this is uh, a message I wanted to share from our buddy, Kenny Kane and Kenny, he, so he works for a company, Generations Forestry, and he wrote, he, or he uh, gave me this information. Generations Forestry, along with other companies in the world of forest management, including Collins Pines, 
Forest Investment Associates, Ram Forest Products, and the Kinzu Quality Deer Cooperative are sponsoring the 2022 Hunters Share the Harvest, where deer harvested in the 2022 season can be donated to those in need. So Generations Forestry is located at 26 Paynes Road, Kane, Pennsylvania, and will be the drop-off point for legally tagged deer that hunters would like to donate to those in need. So this is uh, location-specific to Pennsylvania, but the drop-off times will be in Pennsylvania opening day through the last day of rifle season, and you can drop them off between 7 a.m. and 5 p.m. With any questions, you can call Generations Forestry at 814-837-9391, or you can just hit up Kenny on his Instagram, which is just at KenJKane. And um, we shared this message last year. So anybody that happens to be hunting in that local area and and shoots a deer that they'd like to donate, uh, it's very much appreciated. So uh, feel free to hit up Generations Forestry and Kenny on that to, to be able to take care of it. But um, in other news here, so I I guess that's really about it for for the week um, as far as updates. Uh, also. Um, well, gun season's coming in uh, in Pennsylvania here on, I guess, on Saturday. So it's coming up quick here following Thanksgiving. So I hope everyone has a great uh, Thanksgiving and, and and then good luck for, for gun season and getting to spend time at deer camp with your families. Uh, still have all the, the deer camp apparel and some blaze orange stuff on the website. If you're in need of that, go check it out. And, um, yeah, I just want to say, you know, this, this episode that we have here with Jim Holt Jr. of Classic Outfitters and, and Chris Derrick of Sika Gear, I, I, it was a, a pleasure to get to, to hunt with these guys again and get to talk to them. Jim's hunt, you know, it's, it's a bow hunt only. They have 160 inch minimum. It's, it's, it's different than really anywhere that you could hunt that you can hunt whitetails than anywhere in the country. And, and Jim knows that. And that's, that's why his, everything he does is so specific to hunting, um, those big deer. And, and it's not for everybody. Uh, it's, it's for very few people, actually. <laughs> it's an incredible experience, which I love. And, and you'll hear in the, this episode, but, um, Jim, Jim doesn't do it to sell hunts. He does it for the experience and, and giving people a world-class experience if they're, they're willing to, you know, be, uh, all in on this program. So, uh, we ended up coming home empty handed from the trip as far as bringing home deer, uh, but had just, just incredible experiences as you'll hear. And, 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 uh, you know, I passed on, on what would be my biggest archery buck to date. <laughs> so, which is difficult to, to be able to do, but to be able to watch that and see everything is, was, was, um, was pretty crazy. So, uh, and also, um, so Chris Derrick was sick of gear. I've had Chris on here a plenty of times, just a wealth of knowledge and, and great with leading, building the gear and the whitetail line. Uh, Chris has become a great friend of mine. I've been on a lot of hunts with him now and, uh, really enjoy spending time with him and, and working on products. And that's why I've worked with sick of gear for so long is, well, a, a big reason is Chris has been a huge help in that and, and getting our feedback and, and being able to build the best products out there. I did want to note that, uh, Sika is running a rare, um, sale right now, black Friday sale over on, on their website. I think it's like 25% off on their products. If you use the link, 
that's uh, down in in the show notes of this podcast, or if you're watching it on YouTube, um, in the the notes there, that link is an affiliate link that goes to Sick of Gear. And if you buy anything through that link, I get a small commission off it at no cost to you. So if you do that, I do appreciate it. Uh, if not, no worries either way. But check that out. Um, get some good deals there. But enough rambling for th- this episode. And uh, I appreciate everyone listening. And, and we will talk to you next week. All right, we're live. We're back in Alberta once again. It's been four years since, well, I guess since I've been here. Chris, you've been here, uh, what, 2019 was your last time? Yes, the last time I came here was 2019. So I'm here with Chris Derrick, uh, Whitetail Product Manager for Sick of Gear. I think that's a, the right title for you there. We'll go with it, if not. <laughs> um, and uh, Mr. Jim Hole Jr. over here. From Classic Outfitters, I, I think I think some people will recognize the face and, and I'm sure the tone of voice once we start rolling through it. <laughs> well, thanks for the invite, Bo. It'll be interesting to see what, what you have to say and yeah. are you enjoying yourself up here? Yeah, no, it's 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 been a good trip so far. We um we've come up with a new name for Jim, the the Sales Badger. So if anybody wants to look up on YouTube and type in Sales Badger, you'll get a get an idea. It's just an inside joke with uh all of us here at camp uh with uh with the program Jim runs here. Do True. you think it's pretty accurate? True. Well, you know, I got to be careful commenting on that, but for whatever reason the guys have found some good parallels. <laughs> To me in the, uh, those episodes that are quite entertaining. So, uh, yeah, it's not entirely off, is it, Bo? Yeah, no, not, not, not entirely. We've, we've had fun. Yeah. We've had fun joking back and forth. Exactly. You know, it's funny when the, the Quiet Place film, uh, for Sick of Gear, uh, came out, I guess that would have been 2019, I believe, uh, that was focused around Jim and the operation and, uh, and, when when people ask me questions about that in this hunt, it was a lot of times came back to, is it is it actually fun? Do you have fun there? Uh, does Jim have fun? You know those types of things, and my my comment back is yes, as long as you are organized, you have your stuff together, and you're going to it, you can have a, a very very enjoyable hunt. What would you say with that? Well, when you use the word fun, you know, I find myself commenting on, you know, we're referring to the sport of bow hunting big whitetails, you know, the world's biggest whitetails. And uh, it's just such a serious game for a lot of people. And people say, is it fun? Well, it's not like going to a carnival. It can be fun. It's not really a fun thing. It's an amazing thing. It's an incredible thing. It's, It's something that a lot of people are obsessed with it. I wouldn't call it fun like a roller coaster, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, is it fun? Uh, not exactly. It's just an amazing, amazing game that's just, that just, uh, you get obsessed with, I guess you might yeah. say. What, so do you, from doing this for how, how many years have you been, how, been doing this, I guess? Well, as far as the guiding bow, it's been, we're pushing 40 years now. 40 years. We're getting close. Yeah. We're 37 or eight or something. Do you still have that flame that you had back back when you started? Uh, it's a different type of thing. You know, you you, uh, you never, I mean, any outfitter burns out at times. That's the nature of any business. If you stay in that business, you burn out and reinvent yourself kind of thing. But the passion, you get a different kind of passion as you go when you're 
when you're a kid, you're just excited to try to get animals, get on animals, get animals, and then at this stage, you're still very you're still very focused on getting on it, getting on animals. But it's the joy of the sport and the romance of the sport and the sportsmanship and ethic that goes with it. You really evolve as you go, so you're very passionate about the sport, but in different in different uh, aspects would yeah. be probably my best answer. Yeah, because I, I know I, I thought it was interesting when you and I were just sitting here having coffee or something, having a conversation. You were mentioning about you're like you know it's not it's not even about you know how many animals that you guys can get out of here and and all of those it's not about that anymore it's about that experience and and giving people the opportunity to to truly hunt world-class whitetails and just and in their natural environment and and just such a special special place well yeah what we're trying to do is really chase an authentic experience here i mean i would never want to criticize other places other other you know operators and such but what we're trying to do is just to um, do a different thing where we're hunting deer that are naturally moving and and uh, we can't we you don't bait in Alberta so you're hunting agricultural properties um, in our case we don't use any cameras um, we've hunted ground that we know the big deer are here and we keep it as pure as possible is what we do it's not for everybody but it's what we love to do so yeah. it's a it's a different type of hunt for sure yeah what Chris to, to go over to you before we dive into that a little bit more? What keeps what keeps you coming back? I mean, obviously, so we're we're here, um, you know, on the behalf of Sika Gear and testing the products in worst case environments. That's what the goal is to make great products is to test it in some of the, the worst case scenarios. And I think, I think we got a little bit of that here, but you know, even other than that, what, what brings you to keep coming back for the pain? Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's, it, it, you know, the, the whole idea of being able to come and do this style of hunting too, where you don't really know what's out there, but you know, and you see, you get glimpses of glimpses of these giants you know and they'll be within you know 100 yards but uh, you know just not being able to connect and it's it there's there's a unique challenge to this place that you don't find in a lot of other places you go and then really early on in the year from a you know from a gear standpoint it's it's one place where you can go and and get those you know very very low negative temperatures uh super early in the season so you get a window into uh into seeing what what it's like for a lot of other late season hunts that you typically don't run into december and january yeah no definitely and uh you know jim back on the authentic front of it i i think it's a refreshing thing for me to come here and you know it's not like oh you know you're showing us these trail camera pictures of this is the buck you're going after this you you truly don't know what could show up and and we've we've already as we'll get into here is like the 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 caliber of the deer that we're seeing and and just like it's these canadian deer just like a whole a whole different world but 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 going back to the the whole authentic side of it i think it's refreshing of just like just hunting and just hunting based off of you know your knowledge of these animals and what these 
big deer like to do. And it's, it's, it's fun to, it's fun to be on the outside and kind of, I've been asking you a ton of questions throughout this, just trying to learn of how you look at this and from all these years of hunting these whitetails. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it's, you know, it's really tough to put your finger on it. You know, when, when I was a kid, um, <laughs> too many years ago, um, you didn't have the advantages that you do now with technology and, and just basic hunting knowledge. We, we've worked on tactics for decades. And the thing that's just really interesting about this is that to me, it's very pure. It reminds me of when we were a kid and, and we were not using the technology, but now we have the knowledge to know how these big deer want to act, how they want to travel, when they want to travel, that sort of thing. And it's just, um, it keeps the balance, the natural balance in the hunting the way we want it. We want it to be difficult. I've always, that's why I chose this sport in the, in the first place, as far as bow hunting, these big whitetails. I knew that decades later, uh, we'd still be working at it and trying and getting embarrassed by them because they do that to us all the time. And that's the fun in it. If it was, if it was easy, anybody could do it. And, uh, from years and years, years of doing it, I mean, a lot of people have become very good at it now. And, but years back, not many people were very good at it. Mm -hmm. So the sports evolved yeah. a lot and the sportsman has evolved a lot too. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's, I think it's cool. And, and, you know, based on our setups that you have for us to go in as, as, as like, you know, as you're giving us, um, I guess, information on why you're putting us in these places, like, okay, I think they're going to be transitioning through here. And this seems like a good spot for this. All right. No, maybe, you know, we're getting out later today and you don't want to be more evening focused or want to be able to kind of see before, you know, diving into, you know, these deer are unpressured. And I feel like that comes with sometimes people think unpressured means easy to hunt and and that's definitely not the case here and i'm sure it's not really even the case in a lot of places it just depends on how um you know your strategy of basically working the fringes and then kind of slowly working your way in to to keep it unpressured mm -hmm. yeah yeah the, th the thing that i also talk about a lot and you don't hear many guys speak of it is pacing areas having a pace to hunt an area um, if you have several places to hunt, you can be more aggressive. If you're hunting an individual property, you pace the area, whether it's your personal farm at home, mm -hmm. you know, back in Pennsylvania, or it's wherever you are. And a lot of guys, they just work properties hard to the point that it's very, very difficult to hunt these animals. There's deer that don't know they're being hunted, deer that do know they're being hunted. Once they get onto the fact that they're being hunted, it's a different game. Yeah. The tactics change. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I, I can definitely see that. And, and, and it's the, the work that, that, that you and, and anyone else that's, that had their hands in this, this property here have done to make it to the point where we've had these experiences. Cause we've had some incredible experiences so far on this trip, which this trip didn't, didn't necessarily start out the way any of us had wanted, um, we're here, we're sitting here on Friday night, I guess. So it's the day before the last day. And Chris just got his bow and all of his gear last night. Yeah, it's gone very smoothly so far. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's like textbook. You're looking, you know, you get off the plane, everything rolls together just in a nice way. And 
It's been absolutely the opposite of that all week, uh, trying to find that. And, uh, you know, everybody letting me borrow gear, you know, I'm, I'm uh, 165 pounds. I've been wearing a size extra large, uh, (laughs) fanatic set and then borrowing a, uh, you know, uh, a bow, the same bow, which works for this setup, but it's also the same bow that I have my kids learning to shoot on. And, uh, and so it's just been a, a unique experience and I had to learn to shoot without a peep. And it's, it's, uh, <laughs> that has not happened since I was very, very young. So yeah, <laughs> that's, you know, so uh, having to unlearn a lot, uh, to, to be able to apply and be, uh, you know, where I could take a, an ethical shot in the field. It, it certainly did show the brotherhood of the bow hunting, though, when one guy was without the gear, how everybody else would give up whatever they could give up to get the other guy in the game, and that's what we saw, which was nice to see. Totally inconvenient, of course, Chris, for you, but uh, yeah, well, especially as a Sitka guy where you had your stuff that was just dialed, and you show up, you're putting yourself together in bits and pieces. I was so excited to have my harnessing system back today. That was the main thing because I remember I had to borrow that harness and I could not figure out where anything was. I had my my stuff dialed in my lineman's rope and everything normally dialed. So yeah. for people that don't know what it's like here, if I can go into yeah, that. Yeah, go ahead. It's, so, you know, I've, I hunt a lot of different places and go with a lot of different, you know, operations that are out there. But Jim's place is unique because... The the setup, you know, with these these timber lots, you know, surrounded with some ag that's out there. But the way that each one of the setups are, and, and Jim does this for a reason, because you couldn't just leave stands out there. They get super crunchy and all of those types of things. But he can micro-address by essentially having these 3-8-inch lag bolts in the trees. So imagine you're coming up to a tree and there's a lag bolt. And then, you know, you know, so many inches above it, there's another one and you're climbing, you know, 10 to 15 of those to get up, uh, up the tree. And when you get up there, you know, and then you're setting your own stand every single hunt and breaking it down. And what's pretty nice about that is with a property like this, you can micro adjust based off of the conditions or, or what the winds are doing or what the deer are doing. So Jim can, you know, move those you around based off those those needs of the field but that that's a really cool way to do this because you could take a relatively small property as long as you don't have something that you're going to be harvesting timber as a forestry major don't ever leave bolts in the tree and then have anybody come in it'll shut the sawmill down but if you're not going to be harvesting timber off the place you could set up like literally 60 different stand sites for your property and uh, and be able to really make some fine-tuned adjustments if you were to apply this to your own hunting property. Do you have any comments on that, Jim? Well, yeah. I mean, I can go on all day about our systems, of course, <laughs> which we're trying not to get into too much. But absolutely, Chris Chris is right. I mean, the, the what we're trying to do is have uh, versatility. Yep. You know, and... Uh, guys will get a new property and they'll say, man, I got to get like six or eight tree stands on a property that's, you know, 180, 160, 300 acres, whatever. I say, no, actually, did you say 300 acres? You know, you should probably have 50 tree stands, 60 tree stands, 70 tree stands, sites for varying winds. And it's that's half the fun is to have a property. Hopefully you're not planning on having it just a year. You're having it for many years and you've slowly add more stands and 
figure out some good ones, bad ones. And yeah, versatility is the, is the whole thing. Yeah. Versatility, flexibility, good nights, bad nights. It's perfect tonight. You can jump right in, you know, into the good stuff, the tighter stuff, bad winds, you stay out, you stay out of it, you know? So absolutely a bunch of, bunch of options. It's, it's yeah. a big part of the game. No, definitely. And, and going back to the whole luggage thing. So both Chris and I flew from different areas of the u.s to canada on different airlines and they lost both of our luggages as far as my bow and then your bow and your gear and luckily i got mine back the next night so i was only one day without my my bow and i had all my gear so it was very it wasn't ideal but it wasn't as detrimental as what you had to go through but it's funny because i did a whole podcast on the pros and cons of flying versus driving to hunts and a lot of people didn't like that i like to drive um most of the time and here's a prime example why because you're relying on on this and it's not not great yeah i i debated a lot because i mean it's essentially 11 hours from where i am in bozeman montana up here but usually this time of year we get storms we had the storm system that basically came in the night that we got here and that's the type of stuff i'm trying to avoid on the drive up so thinking okay i'm gonna i'm gonna flip the coin here and go and then unfortunately the day that i get to the airport uh, they their computer system crashes at WestJet. And so literally one airline's transferring another and their whole baggage system goes down. So, I mean, you everyone's bags were gone. I saw two, two, two uh, guys that were loading the plane were obviously very upset at each other. And they were definitely yelling before I got on the plane. And that's when I was texting you guys. I was going... I don't know how this is going to go, but I don't think my bags are coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and with, with my situation, they never really gave me a reason why. And it was funny. Nobody could track it that night. The one we were here, I'm on the phone with customer service at air Canada. And he's telling me my, my bow is in Toronto and customs. And I get another call at that time and then I, I couldn't pick it up. So they called the, the backup line, which was Andy, and he got the call. And they were like, oh, your bags have arrived in Edmonton. I'm like, hmm, well, they're obviously not connected at this point. But nonetheless, our, our trip started uh, a little bit off from that standpoint. So it took some adjusting um, to, to get going. And, and anybody that Say if you've watched The Quiet Place or you've read anything of Jim's stuff or know anything about him, he likes you to be dialed when you come in here and have all your stuff ready. This isn't the place where you come in and, and try to work on it as you go. You need to be ready to go to be the most effective in the, in the field. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. 
Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Is that going to me, Bo? That's going to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I've taken it to another level where I have the guys sign agreements as to what we agree on. Because anybody who plays this big buck game, um, sp- especially with archery equipment, it's just so critical. So if your preparations aren't of critical nature, you're not even in the game up here. So there's some times that I say to guys, um, I'm trying to help you as best I can, but I got to be a realist, which if you're not dialed, all I'm doing is working on your training to train you when you're up here. And I'm sending you home as a, as a better hunter, but you have no hope of being in the game, you know, but when you come up here dialed, then I can do what I've tried to learn to do my entire life. That's my craft and get these guys on these big deer, but I can't get them on big deer unless they're, you know, prepared to a very, um, to a, to a very detailed level. Yeah. No, and, and yeah, the agreements, and and we were talking when I was asking you earlier too about, you know, the, the amount of people that want to come up here and hunt with you and and your your kind of response was i don't get why anybody wants to come up here and and uh <laughs> and hunt and and a lot of people do kind of get cold feet once they see your agreement because it's uh it's it's straightforward there's there's no, there's not any if someone comes up here and is like oh this isn't what i agreed to do or anything they obviously didn't read it because everything is laid out very clear and you're, you're gonna follow my system if not, then see you later. Yeah, I think the thing that's important to recognize is this, it's easy to criticize anyone that's super anal about doing anything, you know, a, a, a difficult sport. But the guys that are trying to do that sport, whether it's a fly fishing trip, which I do a bunch of with some good fly fishermen and or bow hunting, if it's a difficult sport, it, it requires a serious approach. And for you know we've had the conversations this week and we're kidding on the we're serious and kidding at the same time why do why do the guys even want to come up on on difficult sports and it's just i think it's really important to get your head wrapped around as a traveling hunter what you're trying to accomplish because if you're trying to go somewhere to do something that's difficult it's kind of ironically it's kind of not about having a good time it's about being good at what you do when you're going there and the 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 cost the opportunity cost the everything that goes with it the commitment man I don't want to go anywhere to do anything unless I'm in the game and depending if it's a easy vacation you don't have to do much but if it's a demanding sport I got to get on my game and show up to to be able to be to be in it and that this place illustrates it very well yeah no and and I think I I think one of the things out of your 
system or your process or however you call it. And, and, and when I, when we said earlier about, we weren't going to dive super deep into it. The reason is if someone wants to go back and listen, I think it's episode 38 or 39 of the podcast that I had with Jim, we went real in detail on your, your system and everything. And I, I'd recommend people go back and, and, and listen to that. And then also watch the quiet place film to, to see the visualization of it on uh Sika's YouTube channel. But the, the one thing that I want to kind of hit home on again is, and what has helped me since when I was here in 2018 to now become a better hunter is just the organization and knowing your gear inside and out. Doesn't even matter what gear you're using, but knowing how to use it effectively, what's going to make noise, where things are located at, when you get in the tree, how you're how how you're getting to the tree, all those things, and and they're in their right places. And and we talked about it's almost you mean it's it's your system is very military like um, with how you're doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you, you know, we've constantly used the term uh, military like and, and, uh, but it's, you see anybody that's good at anything, they've got a system and it's tight and they can be effective at what they do. I don't care if they're running a roofing company or a, 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 a hunting system or a podcast, um, whatever it is, you, you can tell if you're dealing with guys that have done it a bunch and, and there's just no gray area on these when it comes to the, the critical hunts, the difficult hunts. You have to have a real tight game. And if you're going somewhere to figure it out, you're making a mistake. Obviously, you're going to places to learn. You know, when I travel to hunt, I'm, I'm going to learn from whoever it is that I'm hunting with, no question. But I'm hoping that when I show up, my preparations, I can shoot my gears tight based on what they told me to bring. And then they can put me to work as to what they need but it's it amazes me with traveling hunters how a lot of guys live in disorganization all year thinking they're going to go somewhere and be organized for six days there's no hope it doesn't work that way yeah it doesn't work that way unless you're organized and have your systems in place during the course of the year you don't have a hope of, of being switched on at that particular place if you're going to a place with an authentic difficult style of hunt yeah no i mean in and even if it's not, you know, a, a place that's like this, even, you know, say hunting public land in Pennsylvania, like if you're, if you're going to be mobile hunting or whatever your style is practicing with all that stuff ahead of time. So you have that dialed. So it's not like trying to figure out through the season. And then all of a sudden you miss an opportunity because something happens or you don't, you, you forgot something that i been there before when I've been disorganized and it's just, you just want to kick yourself when that, that happens. It's like you get limited time in doing the things that you love and it's, it's important to, to take advantage of all those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. The guys that have done it that are seasoned through and through and through, you just see that they don't waste a move and they realize that opportunities are, are very precious and they prepare for all of that. And it's, uh, it's very clear when people have the experience Mm-hmm. that what they're what they're trying to be the nature of the beast that they're trying to be in the sport yeah and 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 also just the the nature of cold weather hunting is another animal to it and and something that comes from that that you've that you have in your agreement or your i guess list of things for people to prepare you you don't understand until you're in that situation your draw length 
you know, if your draw lengths, even your normal draw length can be too long in these types of conditions and, and your draw weight, you know, just because you, you think you're strong and, and able to shoot in your yard and your t-shirt, once you start throwing some layers on and doing that, that becomes a lot more difficult. And, you know, I learned a lot, one from borrowing your, your backup bow to be able to use here, you know, it was, it was uh, it was an inch shorter draw length and 16 pounds lighter than what I normally shoot, but man, I felt like I could make any shot happen at, at close range with with that because it was and and that's what you know the game that we're in here is yeah. is is trying to bow hunt at close ranges and ha- and be on the deer and I thought I I think that was another even though I've been here before that was a takeaway that really hit home with me was is that can make you a lot more effective absolutely I think there's there's two tiers up here is one learning how to hunt the system up here how we hunt in in normal temperatures which I refer to as September and October and then once you have a skill set then then you come back in November because when you throw the cold on top of it you're shortening draw lengths, you're, you're um, turning your poundage down, you're, you're working the system of gear, and of course we're, we're working the, this, the uh, Sitka Fanatic system, which lets us be efficient for if we have to walk distances and so on, and I won't get into too much detail there, but the overall systems is, is in that cold weather, it's a, it's a skill set in itself. Yeah. And you, and you realize, or you recognize when you grow up in at Northern Latitude, Canada, how you, as a kid, you know a lot of things, how to handle the cold. But a lot of visiting hunters coming out of Texas or Alabama or wherever are going, okay, how do you do this? It's very yeah. doable for them. They just need the knowledge. Yeah, no, definitely. And and Chris, I'd like you to speak a little bit upon, you know, from the, the, the sickest side of things with layering and how, you know, from from your technical background on, on the proper way to layer in cold weather, you know, from this time when you leave, whether you're getting dropped off like we are, or if you have to walk in to getting in the stand and how, how that kind of works, you know, kind of from the, how people think about it from the base layer side of things to the outerwear and what are some, some things to think about. Yeah. And a lot of people don't really understand this, but when you go out and, uh, you know, just establishing, you know, like even with the foundation of your system or how you're going to work, but then setting the foundation of how you're going to dress. And for, for, for what I would suggest to people is look for the lightest weight thing. You're thinking, oh, I'm hunting in the cold, in cold conditions, but set your foundational layer with like a really lightweight synthetic or uh, some sort of a merino base layer. Don't you don't have to go to like a heavy fleece layer. It's actually going to be worse for you. It's it's better to set your foundation with. I prefer like a lightweight synthetic or a lightweight merino, and then I'll start laying my insulation. So, just for example, so everybody knows, like literally what I was wearing this week was a um, uh, like a heavyweight merino that has a synthetic poly near my skin. So it's like wearing a synthetic near your skin. That's why our heavyweight merino set up. Um, and then on top of that, I had our uh, ambient jacket and our Fanatic hoodie, and I was sitting in negative 15. My actual body uh, was was fairly warm. So that's my upper layers. And that's all that I've got on, maybe adding an additional, you know, like heavyweight, um, you know, mid mid layer in there is all you're going to need. But you're, you're able to actually 
go in those conditions. And when I go in, I actually am wearing, I'm not wearing my upper jacket. I'll typically commit my bottom layer, mm-hmm. but I'll vent it as much as possible. So I'll just go in with, um, you know, with my leg vents open, everything else, do all my work, get up in my stand, and then I'll start layering. And I find that that's good for me because I tend to sweat pretty easily and I don't want to get worked up even, you know, with, with that, build that moisture up because even your best apparel still has to take time to move that out of the system. So you might as well not have it there in the first place. Yeah. And, and what, and what you're referencing is for the outerwear is the fanatic jacket and bibs, which is, is what we worked on last time that we were up here was, and it's, you know, something that it's funny because it's, it's really not that heavy for what it does. I mean, we were sitting in what was the worst case scenario on this trip, just for reference. Uh, I think the lowest temp we got was negative 16 or 17 Fahrenheit and, you know, and then some winds to go along with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, it was showing, um, when I, I was looking at, uh, Spartan Forge's weather prediction, it was showing say negative 16 and the real feel was like negative 24, negative 25. It was like, Oh, that's, that's chilly. And, and we were, yeah, we were doing just fine in the tree because layering that properly and 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 the situation here at gyms uh where a lot of the times we're getting dropped off right next to the tree and moving slow so i would wear my outerwear in but traditionally if someone if you know even if you're you're hunting you know public ground you have to hike in a mile you know maybe that's just where you you just got to figure out what your tolerance is for sweating and make sure that you try to minimize that you know like so if i was in pennsylvania i would pack in my fanatic bibs and jacket and still using the active layers of the fanatic hoodie or ambient jacket and the, the other stuff to be able to hike in get there layer up and and uh you know be good in the tree and once and one thing jim that you said that was was I, I thought was a really good point for anybody is when you keep your core body temperature warm or even a little bit warmer than you need, it helps keep your extremities warmer, um, yeah. being your hands and your feet. Absolutely. Once your once your core starts to cool off, your the flow to your extremities shuts down, or it gets cut back. So if you keep your core, it's the you you can't afford to sweat like a, a serious whitetail guy. He knows that he can't be sweating because he'll start stinking. You know, that smell will come come to him. But if you – I always just dress a, a little warmer than I want to be. It keeps my hands and feet, my head, my everything uh, warm. And, I, and I'm much more capable at that level of temperature. But if I start to cool off, I just start to come right apart. Yeah. You know, and especially when you're dealing with being cold and a, and a big buck encounter – it get it's it's not you're just to a large extent you just kind of want to get rid of that arrow and get get it over with one way or the other yeah <laughs> but when you're warm your ambitions you're very ambitious and you're going okay how do i do this how do i do that what do i need to do but if you start to cool off because you you've you've ill you're ill prepared it'll it really cost you yeah you're you're thinking better when you're warm and you're not just you know sitting there being fidgety yeah. and you're yeah. moving and you're doing all these things. But my system looked exactly like Chris's was, and if you think about it, that's four layers 
and negative 15 degree temperatures like that's pretty incredible that that's all you need to to be able to do that and the other important thing i think is with that outer layer having wind stopper in it is cutting that wind because you can have a bunch of bulky clothes on but as soon as that wind starts going at all it'll cut through you right to your skin if you don't have you know a windproof outer layer on yeah it'll definitely you know it's the convection action of taking the heat away from you so having that there definitely makes makes a big difference and then you know just making sure that you you know when you're up there it also helps you pay attention more because if you're uncomfortable and having to move around like I think the worst situation for me was on that coldest night. And then I nicknamed that stand Northern exposure because <laughs> literally you're just like on a, on a thin row of trees on the edge of, of an ag field and you're totally exposed. So you cannot move like, yeah, they're like, you know, there's pretty much deer in the field. And so you, there's not, you're not, it's not like you can jump around in the stand to get warm. You're, you're basically stuck there standing the whole time. There's no sitting in that stand or anything along those lines. You, you're fully committed to your position for the whole hunt. Yeah. And you had the wind right on your face, just kind of wind burning and you can't, and it's like here you need your ears, like you need them to, to be able to hear. And so you can't really have your face covered up or anything. And that's just when that wind's blowing, that's, that's a hard, that's a hard part of it. But yeah, cause you want to look at the deer, but yeah, you're <laughs> definitely taking all the wind right to the, right to your face. Yeah. And then, and then going to like your hands and your feet, I think that's where people get the coldest, um, you know, and we talked about the core temperature being able to help with that. But the other thing is one of Jim's taglines is hands on the heat, you know, and the fanatic jacket has the built in muff, or if you have an external muff, having that with either chemical hand warmers or, uh, or electric ones is something that's able to keep you, um, or I guess battery operated ones I meant, but like to, to be able to keep your hands warm throughout the, the whole experience. Well, that's, that's the one thing is you have to be able to get through it. And, you know, there's different stages, of course, in bowing these big deer. And one stage is where you, firstly, you're going to be there, but you got, you got to last for the hunt so you can be effective. But then it starts to happen on encounter. There's a point that you put your, your, as a right-handed shooter, you put your hand on the bow, your left hand on the bow. How long can, how much time do you have? You know, a lot of times these big bucks will hang up for whatever reason. And I remember one, one of the guys years ago put his glove on the bow and he'd hunted here many years. He forgot that it needs to be a mitt for that cold weather. And that's what cost him his deer all the time put in. He used a glove instead of a mitt and that was the end of his encounter. That was his, that was his chance that year. So it's just, you have, it's such a critical game. Yeah. It's taken me, I'll, I'll tell my story of like, it's taken me three years to talk about it because I've had the counter, you know, I mean, this was, was a tough one for me because I've put so many hours in here, but one year I came here and I switched from a wrist release to a three finger release. And I had set up everything and I had prepared and, you know, I'd even shot animals with that same setup here but I had not yet taken that into these cold conditions. So a lot of whitetail hunters, I know do this because I'm, I'm one of many. You've got your three finger release and you set it up in your D loop, right? And you leave it there. So everything's set up and ready to go. You don't even have to look, right? You just grab it, you draw and you shoot and you're done. What I had not experienced here was taking that cold, that warm release into cold environment. And what happened is at the end of the hunt, 
that day I'd seen that big 190s, whatever, you know, even if I got an opportunity on it, I would not would have, I would not have been able to take it because at the end of the hunt, I started to pack up and I went to release my trigger on my release, wouldn't come off my bow. All the internal parts had frozen together. So basically there had been condensation on the inside of this. So that caused me to have to change the system. So I kept it in my muff and I had had that thing set on a hair trigger. Well, later on in the hunt, like several days later, I sat there just fiddling with that release on the thumb inside my mouth for like many, many days straight. Finally got an opportunity on a 160 plus inch deer, literally at 12 yards, go to draw back and where's my finger sitting? It's on the thumb of the release as I come to full draw. As I start to go to my face, thunk, it goes off, lands right in front of that deer and he just trots off to about 70 yards and looks at me and that was just something I like, I not had not experienced coming here, but it was just like a heartbreaking moment because you put all of this effort and you finally like you're passing on the, the smaller deer and then you're getting, you know, and, and, and when I'm saying smaller deer, we're talking 140, <laughs> 150s, you know, and then you're finally getting and you're seeing these, you know, these larger animals that you you finally want to take. And then for that to happen, you're just like, you got to be kidding me. But it's just because I changed something I'd been doing for like 20 plus years, but not had, had not taken it yet. So I guess my advice is if you come up here and do this, like actually hunt some cold weather hunts where you can, or, you know, or try and find something that's been here before, maybe to talk through some of that stuff. But if you change one thing, that can be the the thing that causes it to go wrong for you. Which yeah. happened in my case. That's the one thing, Bo, that we do is like we like I said, we've been, I've been doing we've been doing this for a while and when we have some veterans that roll in that have been here the year before, maybe thirty years <laughs> in a row, you walk in when they're getting organized and I'll say, Okay, who's got what's new this year? Who's got anything new? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you're wondering what the new release is, the new bow, the new binoculars, the new binocular strap, the new whatever, because that will be the demise is the new whatever that gets in, uh, incorporated. Like my stuff, I put it away in duffel bags and we, the standing joke is nobody touched my stuff. <laughs> you know, we've been saying it that this week because among us, we're not touching the other guy's gear because you don't want anything out of place. Just for so. the record, I do like to move one piece over in your system. Just <laughs> That's to right, watch just to mess reaction. with me. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's taken me, I, I get to start hunting as we get through the season because all the work's done. And I did my first hunt tonight and it was amazing how smooth it went because all my system, my stuff is prepared and everything's in its place. I just went out there and it was as smooth as can be because all my stuff is in order um point it's just the organization that we're referring to and of course my release is working because it's the same release that i've used yep. by canadian standards temperatures it's working but that's the sort of thing is we're just always searching for what can go wrong what can go wrong yeah no i'm, I'm glad you shared that story because it, it doesn't you I mean you you can get some extremely cold temperatures in the midwest or the east or anything especially as you get later in the season and you don't pay attention to those. Th I mean, I've always just hung my handheld release on the bow and never, I never thought, you know, twice about it. And, uh, that's, yeah, that's a heartbreaking way to learn that lesson, but, uh, hopefully this will help some others not make that mistake. 
Yeah. So yeah, if you're, if you're, I would say anytime, never, first of all, try and not get in the habit of doing that. But if it gets below, I think it's, I think that day was roughly 10 degrees, but it's somewhere in that rough range is where the condensation happens. And, and it will, if there's anything together, they'll become glued together. It's, it's funny though, when we're talking about the cold weather, the cold weather failures, the frozen release is one of them. Not being able to get a bow drawn is common. A draw length that's too long in the cold because you're wearing the gear. Um, we had one hunter a few years ago that couldn't shoot because his release was frozen on a big deer. Then another deer came in a few days later and he got so excited. He had four arrows in his quiver. This gentleman was a from Wisconsin and I admire him for telling us this story. He came back and he dropped every arrow out of the tree till he had no arrows left because he was shaken up so bad. <laughs> he came back and told us the story of dropping every arrow, not even getting a shot. He couldn't get the arrow. He dropped an arrow by accident because he did draw a partial draw back and forth, dumped it, tried to put his other three arrows, dropped all of them because he was so shaky. Came back, told us the story, and I go, no, there's a true man right there having the, having the uh, whatever to tell us all the story. But then he was rewarded in the end. He, he ended up taking a real good oh, year. Oh, did he really? He did, nice. yeah. Yeah, he earned it. His honesty and there's integrity. There's hope for us at the end. Yeah, there's yeah. hope. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> but it's funny. The cold weather and the big bucks, will, they'll get you. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Yeah, no, there's, yeah, that, that's a, that's a rough combination there. It is. It certainly is. Cold weather and big bucks. But the other thing is your, your feet, um, keeping your feet warm. And well, there, there's a couple different things. I brought a pair of boots this, this year up and you looked at them right off the bat. You were like, nope, can't wear those. And, and it was because when you're hunting in this, this cold weather and you have boots that have the deep treads and, and Jim, tell me if I'm speaking out of turn, but you, you get snow build up in there. And as you get up on the stand and then it starts to melt and it starts dropping down and making noise and everything. So that was one thing. And, and luckily you had a, uh, another pair of boots for me to, to be able to borrow. Were they Canadian military boots? Canadian military. Yeah. That's what they were. Yeah extremely good with cold weather to have the liners inside it yeah. and everything and and that with a, a chemical hand warmer in there and 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 or heated socks like that seemed to help pretty good with these temperatures because my feet get cold easily yeah yeah do not so a lot of people and i used to be in this camp myself 1600 gram rubber boots or 
you know, 2,000 gram rubber boots. I guarantee if you bring those up here, you're going to have a bad day. <laughs> yeah. You're going to yeah. have a bad day. Yeah. There's, there's nothing like, I, I'm sure you see it all the time. I mean, I brought them my first year too. Uh, but it's, it, you have, to, if you're facing these conditions, you've got to learn about basically these winter pack boots and there's even different levels of dip winter pack boots. Yeah. Well, and that, that's the thing. I mean, the guys that don't know are thinking that these boots will work for whatever reason. And, and like you said, they drop the snow, whether it's warm or cold, they drop the snow if they have lug soles. Okay. And you refer to the Canadian military, uh, boots, but the U S military, the Mickey mouse boots, those are good boots as well. Okay. So I, I wouldn't say, ironically, it's the military boots that are the great boots. I mean, not a big surprise. Yeah. You yeah. know, and the, com- the the compound, the rubber compound in the sole is soft, so they don't freeze up as hard plastic like a lot of the boots do. The hard plastic is dangerous for one thing, um, The com- but, the rub- but those military boots have that softer compound, which lets you keep your traction, but it also lets you keep quiet on frozen surfaces, quieter on on surfaces. But I know some of the guys are doing, working on boot design. Nothing yet has come forward, but it'll be interesting to see what comes along boot wise. Cause people are starting to realize that, you know, that how key those boots are, the softer compounds and the, and the flatter soles for lack of a better term. Yeah, no, definitely. It, it, uh, it's it taken, it's taken me a while to figure out kind of the, the system with that and everything, but I've felt good the last, but, but you know, from all you guys' advice on on how to do that and 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 that that can another thing make or break a hunt you know you get cold oh, yeah. feet that's 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 difficult <laughs> yeah you asked earlier if it's fun bow hunting big white tails well i'll tell you what's miserable is bow hunting these big white tails in the cold and freezing to death yeah it is absolutely miserable yeah, I, yeah, that 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 is a a quick way to zap all your ambitions yeah. and all your and, goals, and and that's the thing for me is like with with the work that we've had the opportunity to do with the working with the sick of guys, we're out there, and we we always say it's a game changer. What we can do is as Canadians, we've grown up wearing whatever we can in these conditions, so we can hunt these big deer. We've been doing it for decades, and you know the new modern stuff. It is just oh, it's it's a pleasure. Yeah. It's a pleasure. It makes it almost fun, Bo. Almost fun. <laughs> almost fun. <laughs> Type two fun. <laughs> and we, we were joking and well, not really joking about like, you know, is it actually fun to, to hunt these things? But we do have fun at camp and everything. And we do have fun in the field. It's just a different. I mean, every night it's great. I mean, we come back. Chef yeah. Eddie has yeah. unbelievable food. Yeah. Dudley is aw- awesome when he comes here, Jim's brother, and talks. And, we you know, we and we have people that that we know from past years coming here and just coming out and hanging out with us and so it's always a good time but you know even with these really really cold conditions if you're late you you can you can endure it it's not like i'm not uncomfortable in the stand yeah like i remember when we had to move cuz the wind switched and you were like do you need to run or something to get yourself and i was like no i'm actually yeah. pretty warm you know i'm i'm okay we, yeah. we we've had lots of guys come up uh over the years from southern latitude with the right training and the right gear, handle it just fine. You've also had other ones get in their truck and leave. We have had that too, but uh, <laughs> we have had that too. But honestly, I mean, some of them have, I mean, I like to think I'm pretty good in the cold, but I bet you some of those guys have handled it better than I have. You know, just, I don't know, maybe they're just more spot on to, to do it or whatever. And Yeah. 
but it's it's pretty bad one today. It was twenty two degrees as a high, and it felt like a heat wave. We were, were like, like, "Oh, oh this is easy." Like, do I need? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Bear," I was like, "Yeah, this is this is gonna be a great day. This is so laid back now." Yeah. So, Chris, talk a little bit about your hunt so far. What's what what's been what's been going on? Like, what what's your experience been so far? Well, it's it's been interesting. So Jim changed it this year, and he's been running this for a long time. But in the past, he used to run. First of all, lots more hunters. But then when I first started hunting with him, he had four people in the camp. And then we would also go out mornings and evenings. This year, we've changed and actually uh, done uh, mid-morning hunts through the rest of the day. And we're not like uh, going after deer and pressuring them on both in the morning, like running out in the morning, you know, twice a day, picking people up. And what's interesting is this year, I've had more encounters and have passed more very good deer uh, this year than I have all my other years uh, hunting with Jim. So it's it's been really uh, you know it's it's kind of hard to accept when you come in and you're like this is the system we're going to run, but you know when you when you look at it the deer are relatively unpressured and I mean we've all had great encounters this week. I mean I've I've passed you know, upper one forties bucks, like lots, lots of one thirties. I've had three deer that a lot of other people in a lot of other places would shoot, but this is not what we've come here to, to shoot. So, uh, that's, 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 uh, a difference. So it's been, that's been a change this year, but this has been the best year for deer activity on record that since I've started hunting with Jim. Yeah, no, I, I, I can say that the same, I only had one other year here, but, it it uh, you also feel so much more recharged when you can sleep in a little bit, and you know it almost you you almost have that guilty feeling of laziness at first, like of doing it, and then you start getting into this, you get into that process, and you're you're going through it, and it's like okay, I see why this is, and you're more effective, you're more alert when you get full sleep. And you know, not even thinking about the deer, just thinking about you personally as a hunter, because spending six days of hunting, you know, basically all day back and forth, that, that can wear on you, especially in these cold temperatures. And, and to be able to do that felt great and been seeing just awesome deer. I've, I've passed on quite a few deer so far and I've seen deer that are shooters that I haven't had an opportunity at and. And it's, it's funny that I know Chris is smiling over there and because what I'm about to say, but yesterday, this I, is awesome. Yeah. I, I just want to, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get to what you're laughing at, but I'm going to tell the whole kind of story here first, because so I, I came back, went out hunting yesterday and Jim's like, it feels like a, it's going to be a good day. And, and, uh, you know, and he's like, yeah, with, he's like, the moon with the moon phase, the movement should be good, you know, in early afternoon and, and just the cold temperatures, like these deer are gonna want to be feeding. And just, I ha I came back at night and he, we shuts off the side by side and he looks at me, he goes, well, I said nothing. And he just looked at me like, like sick. And then he realized he's like, there's no way. And I was like, no, I said, actually, this was the best night of my life ever in a tree. And that's, I've spent a lot of days in a tree <laughs> and, uh, I, I saw 12 white tail bucks, three mule deer bucks, moose, 
everything from one tree. Like you can't go to a place and have that kind of experience. I'm sorry, Jim, I'm not trying to sell your, your business here, but uh, (laughs) as you're trying to downsize, but, uh, (laughs) but no, it was just, it was an incredible hunt. And at one point, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon, it was right when you said that the moon was going to be at the right place for deer to start moving, had 130 inch eight point come cruising through at 18 yards, just natural movement coming through. It was really cool to be able to watch. And then later in the the day, I, I spotted a a big mature deer bumping a doe around and he bumped her right up to me comes in to eight yards and he's just this big old gnarly eight point that uh was probably 150 to 155 inches and which is incredible and and for me you know that would have been the biggest deer that i'd ever shot with a bow and i just sat there and watched him at eight yards and let him walk walk out of my life and and the the whole joke of it was was uh how, how did what was it what was the quote chris uh letting my dreams walk yeah letting my dreams walk and i think i asked and you were like but i'm here now and i'm living my dreams and i was or something yeah. and you're like well actually i'm letting my dreams walk yeah yeah because I, I i had said that and and we'll get to this story here in a second but I read about this place and specifically about Jim back when I was a kid, when he had shot a deer that, that is still number two in Alberta, if I'm I'm not mistaken, right for typical. And I remember reading that and looking at it and, and talking to my grandfather and my dad and they're like, Oh, that's the, that's the the pinnacle of the places to go. And those big Canadian whitetails, the dark chocolate antlers and the big bodies. Like, I'm like, man, that's a dream of mine to go there sometime and, and shoot one of those deer and watching one of those deer kind of walk away from me. I, you know, I kind of got emotional. I, I definitely cursed Jim a lot in the tree for telling me to, to, to hold out for that's a, not, a, that's a, not a mega no, giant. Yeah. That's not abnormal. That's not, that, that is nothing unusual. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Cursing Jim. I agree. Yeah. For the course. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and more, more people should do that. But at, at the same time, it was just like, it, I think, and I think Dudley was the one who said it. He goes, it takes more discipline not to shoot that deer than it was to shoot it. And that was so difficult to just, but to get to watch him just like at that distance, just be a big old boxy bodied, heavy antler. <laughs> oh, I got to stop talking about it, but uh beautiful buck, you know. It does hurt, doesn't it? It, it does hurt. Yeah. It, it really does. But yeah. um, I'm getting past it. I'll, 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 I'll move on here eventually. But as, as my buddy Johnny says, you can't cry over spilled milk. You just gotta, gotta move on. So there's a lot of spilled milk here, but there the is, there <laughs> is. But I mean, it, like I, mean, I had that huge deer come out the other day and I was like looking at him. I was like, he's got to come down this row. Like he's going to come down this row. And he literally worked and just skirted just, you know, just outside, you know, a bit outside my range and, and, and he just works on and I, there's nothing I can do to turn him. I don't have any calls here either to like Mm -hmm. try and like give him anything. So all I can do is just sit there and just watch, watch him walk away. And there's, there's, I can't even put an effort, but I did that same night, you know, have a buck that just chased the doe, like literally right under my stand. And he's still, you know, that's a, you know, 140 class deer. And you're just going to let it go, you know, and it's, but it's cool to see because that's going to be next year's 160 or 170. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, uh, it's, 
and and that's what's that's what's fun about that you have these opportunity you you potentially have an opportunity at these just like just world class animals there's there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with the deer that we had passed but that this is this is one of those opportunities that I have to chase something that's just extraordinary as you said you're like if you want one of those great deer you're going to have to be okay if you want one of those extra extraordinary deer you're going to have to pass the great deer and yeah. that's that's what it comes down to and that's yeah, exactly. that's, not, that's easier said than done well that's what we're trying to do here bo is is we've done it quite some time and and it's become too routine for us and i don't make it make it sound like it's easy to take these 141 50 deer those deer are earned as well you know so i don't want to disrespect um, anyone or those deer but when you do it as long as we have there's something new to reach for and letting those really good deer walk in the interest of chasing exceptional deer is what's special for us now and there's that's what we want to do and the guys that come and hang out with us they've taken some nice deer they want to take some really nice deer and they want to take some really nice deer that are free roaming wild deer and it's as as pure as we can make it you know and that's kind of what we're trying to do yeah no definitely so let's let's i'd like to hear I'd like to hear the the story you tell the story of the the one that got me excited as a you know eight or nine year old kid. So just putting for reference on your age compared to mine, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> about that. Cause yeah, we, we were we were talking about this the story and right, and uh, right. I'd like to 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 hear about that. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the age difference is I'm older than your dad apparently from what you had told he, me. So. I'm uh, in my higher fifties now, but yeah, as the story goes, we've, you know, we've been guiding for years and back in the day I would guide 13 weeks straight, various species and so on, but it would always be a really hard push getting through the season. And then of course the whitetail season would start for us in terms of the guiding in October and November, but it always, the Alberta, uh, the Edmonton Bozone season rather always ends on November 30th. Um, but the weeks stagger because guys will hunt from Monday to Saturdays. So on that particular year, everybody, all the, all the clients went home on Saturday night or Sunday morning. They hunted till Saturday night. So we had, uh, uh, Sunday and Monday to hunt. And on Saturday, my brother Doug was hunting a property that he's hunted for years. And he saw a couple exceptional deer on that Saturday. And he came back to camp talking to some of our clients that, he was so excited about the deer and I'd heard enough deer hunting stories that I actually said, he was telling me and I go, I'm good. I'm good. Go tell him. So he was talking about <laughs> talking to a buddy of ours, Rick from, from, uh, Michigan. And they were taught, they're all excited about this and I'm going, whatever. I'm just so tired of not tired of hunting and whatever. I just, I'm done for now. So he's talking about this big deer that he had seen this, these two big typicals that came out and he said, we're, I'm taking, I'm taking Jim over there on, on Monday or Sunday or whatever. And I'm going, okay, whatever. And then he's asking me <laughs> if I want to hunt there. And I, and I have my stuff figured, you know, I've got my, I know what I'm doing for my two days of hunting. He says, I'm telling you, these deer are exceptional. These deer are exceptional. And I'm kind of shaking my head going, don't waste my time. Like, don't waste my, I'm dialed. So I don't know what you've got, but you've got to, if you've got something, it's got to be good. You know? So I'm being super picky because I got four hunts left. So 
He says, no, we're going over there. I'm setting stands in the, how did that work? I'm, I'm going to go up there tomorrow and I'm going to set a stand uh, midday and you're hunting it tomorrow night. I know right where it needs to be. I said, okay, fine. I'll hunt my stuff in the morning, your stuff in the afternoon. And I'm cringing doing it because I'm giving up my good evening stuff. Anyways, so we plan to meet 20 minutes north of the farm and we meet on a road and what do we do? And he says, you see that? You're going over that peninsula in the middle of a field and there's, there isn't much other than two trees kind of sticking out of a, the top of uh, willow willows. It's, it's not a bunch of trees. It's two trees sticking out of the top of willows like a flagpole. It's just so, you know, like seriously it's you know so anyway so he says we walk in and he took a stand that's just that was just north like 125 yards north of mine he says you're going i'm going here you're in the primary stand i go in there he's put it in there it's a tree that's honestly about six six inches in diameter seven inches in diameter i'm up at about 12 14 feet something like that i'm looking at this thing going this is a mess but it's in the middle of a field in a kind of a slewgrass area transition area I'm feel I'm pretty happy because I'm not guiding. I actually get to go in a tree for a change, so I'm pretty happy. So I eventually climb up the tree, and I'm going. This is a mess. I got to like, you know, he cleared it so he could get the the steps in. But other than that, I have to cut. The, I probably had to cut 25 things to actually get functional in this dysfunctional tree because it's so small. Yeah, the stand is facing south, and I'm just kind of shaking. I can still remember, and this was over 20 years ago. I can still remember the distinct thought. This is a bad setup. But then I look around and I go, but this is a great place. You know, you could see that it was just ripped up. And I thought to myself, I looked at it and I went, you know, you can, you can make this work. You can make this work. You know, if you really pay attention to what you're doing, you got to, I'm going to have to get positioned and squared away so I can't move if this works. And if anything that comes by, I'm, it's not that I'm skylined. I look like a, I'm a mass above the willows. It's not, I, there's one other tree with me mm-hmm. that actually I could have my bow hanger on. You know, I could put a little screw in and just have my bow hanger hanging on it. Anyways, so I asked Doug before we went in, I said, okay, what's the plan? Are you calling? He says, whatever you want to do. If we're calling, you're calling. It's whatever you want to do. I'll just be straight north of you. I said, okay. So I get in there and I'm looking at the setup and a little earlier in the evening. We were probably sitting for three hours, something like that. There's a 135, 140 kind of drifting by at 80 yards. And I just felt good. I was really happy being in a tree. You know, it was just super refreshing. Then that deer drifted off and I wanted to drift off a good, a good ways because I was thinking of rattling, you know. And eventually we were starting to run out of daylight and I was going, you know, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to rattle here. I think this is the way to handle this because I got to cover some real estate. So I take my antlers, I put them together quietly. I crack them a couple times, grind them a bit, crack them. Then I crack them so I know that sound's traveled 500 yards because the closest woodlot that would hold the deer is at least 300 yards away. And the light is starting to fade. There's like four or six inches of snow, something like that. But the weather had been been really warm. And then it was starting to cool off on November. I think it was on November 29th, if I remember the date correctly. It was the last couple of days of, of November. Anyway, so it's cooling off, and I'm a stubble field to the west, a stubble field a little further to the east, and slough grass that runs north and south with willows in it that I'm in the willows. A couple minutes later, I can hear crunching 
but I can't tell, you know, when you can barely hear something, you can't tell which direction and I can't move, you know, I can't be starting to do this looking around so i'm finally i get an id and i and i look to the south southwest and i look and a big typical is walking straight at me at like 100 yards walking straight at me and i glance i glance and i as soon as i see it i go 160 plus he's a shooter for sure i didn't look at him and go he's a 180 plus he's a one whatever i just went this is a good deer you know at a glance and i'm more focused on executing what's about to happen so this deer comes from the southwest, southwest, southwest. And like I said, I'm facing south and my bow is in a bow hanger about two feet from my face, south of me. And so I over-rotate right in case he goes to to the what would be straight west to my right. He's approaching from the south with a bit of west. But I'm over-rotated right so I can shoot west if I have to, but I can also kind of shoot behind myself east if something goes funky and he gets over there. I don't know what's going to happen. But I've got this tree that I have to commit to one side or the other with my bow. So I've got my bow pulled into my face. I'm over-rotated to the right. This guy comes in, and then he turns a hard east. And as he turns a hard east at 50 yards or whatever, I swing the bow to the left side of the tree so I can swing left or east anyways he comes cruising off the field broadside at about 30 yards so i guess he was a little closer when he turned east but he came by me less than 30 yards and he's walking on the stubble field making a little bit of noise crunching snow but i'm gonna wait till he hits the slough grass because when he hits the slough grass i'll be able to draw because of the noise he'll be making lots of noise in the slough grass because I'm concerned about being get drawn. I'm in plain sight. So then I know it's kind of like mule deer hunting. It's going to be the one shot. And if he's on to me, that's my, my chance, you know. But as soon as I draw, he doesn't get on to me. He gets in the slough grass. I'm at full draw facing straight south. He's going east at less than 30. And I can only see the upper one quarter of his back or upper one third of his back. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me. Because I just let him walk out of a stubble field. Yeah. So he goes walking east. And then he, and then he's walking out of my life as you would. Out of your dreams. Yeah. Out of my dreams as you might appreciate that comment. And he gets southeast a distance of 40, 45 yards. And I go, I can't believe I just let him walk. I didn't have any choice. Yeah. Other than if I shot him a little short on the field, which was doable. But I was, didn't want to risk the noise of the draw. Or the movement, whatever. Anyway, so he is, he gets about 45 yards southeast of me, and he turns and comes straight north, just like he's on a square. He wants to find these two bucks that he heard. He's on a mission. And I remember the wind was south. Uh, uh, the, south the wind was south. The wind was west southwest. So it means that he walked straight downwind, walked south of me. Wind was perfect for me. He got southeast of me, and then he turns north. And I've got a west-southwest wind, meaning that he can get broadside to me, but no further because he's going to hit my wind. So he's coming on the east side of me, going south to north, and I'm still at full draw. I've rotated all the way from south to southeast to, to east-southeast, and now east. And he's about to hit a patch that's open, and I'm going to stop him with a grunt. So it's going to work. So I'm at full draw, I grunt, 
he doesn't hear it because of the noise of the grass. He'd normally hear it. And I go, you got to be kidding me. And he's about to hit my wind too. But there's another little pa- another patch just past that. And I do a loud grunt, which I don't want to do because I don't want him to go straight on me and get on me because I'm worried about him jumping the string. He's a 28 or 31 or somewhere around there, you know. I, I So I'm up on him and I grunt loud and he stops. And I just get on him and I'm taking my... You know, I'm doing that. I got to do a lot of instinctive. Okay. I think he's about in. And then I just remember he's looking straight at me and I'm squeezing, squeezing. I'm thinking, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And it fires. And when it, when I, when the bow fires, I hear the, I hear a weird sound. I hear like this. And I'm going, what was that? What was that? You know, it's, you know, it's almost like I hit a tree on the way, but there's no way. You know, the timing was I should have hit the deer, but I heard a like this. I didn't know what it was. Anyways, he starts running to the north, and I'm feeling pretty good about it, you know. So I, I know I'm not getting a second shot, so I immediately, without any hesitation, hang the bow and grab my binoculars around, and I hang my bow, and then I spin with him, and he runs north, and I'm still, I've still got my feet planted, right? And, yeah. and I'm having to shuttle my feet because my feet are actually pointing <laughs> west. Yeah. So I'm kind of shuffling and trying to keep my balance in this flimsy tree. This deer takes off north, he curves east, he hooks back west, and I'm on him with the binoculars. It's getting pretty dim, you know, so it's tough to see. And he's out there at 90, about 90 yards, and he's just going back to the willows, and I'm, and I'm watching him, and he goes down. And I go, he went down, and he was running right towards Doug. Like, Doug was like 125 yards north of me. I don't know where, but he said about 125 yards north. Anyways, so I go, he went down. He went down. I'm sure he went down. He went down. You know, I'm talking to myself that he went down. And I just shot a moose and a nice mule deer in previous hunts without hardly hunting. So I had done like six days of hunting and shot three good animals. And I go, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, in bow hunting, that just does, it doesn't line up that way. Yeah. But it just kind of happened. Anyway, so I just was in no hurry so i just took my time doug said he was coming back to meet me i didn't know where he was anyway i knew he was up there but anyways so doug eventually walks back in the dark and i'm standing at the base of the tree and he says to me did you sh-? uh i said to him how'd you do did you shoot anything he goes yeah right what'd you shoot <laughs> that's what he says to me i said you heard that did you he says oh yeah i heard it i heard it anyways i said man big typical and uh, I think he's I think he's piled up ninety yards just right there in the tall slough grass. It's tough to see. Yeah, you know. And I said, I think we're good. Like we never track an animal immediately. Yeah, you know. But I'm going. We're this. We're good. We're good. I'm telling you. Like I just had to think. We're good. You know. So off we go. Where we now it's flashlight time. We're out there with our flashlights because the lights. You know, it, November gets dark fairly quick. So we're out there, we're here, and it should be right there, should be right there. And I'm going, man, he should be here, he's not here, he's not here, he's not here. So Doug stops, and he goes, are you sure? I go, man, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. He goes, you probably, you probably missed him, you probably just hit the slough grass or something. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, man, like I'm seriously beside myself so then i have to i'm moment of silence and i say i go 
no, he's here. He's here. He's dead. He's here. So Doug, without any hesitation, he says, well, let's pick him up. Then he swings his flashlight five yards beside us to where the deer's laying <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> that he had already seen. That's terrible. Right? Yeah. And like I said before, I said, that's, I guess that's what brothers are for. Yeah. Anyways, the thing that was, I can still remember the vision of this deer, big typical six by six. And I remember him laying there, you know, one antler down, one antler up, of course, you know, on his side. And I just looked at him. I didn't move my feet at all. I looked at him. Doug's the guy that walked over to him first. And I just looked at him and I went, okay, that was, I could see at a glance, it was a special deer. So I just said, that's a, that's a 160 plus, right? said, yeah, that's a 170 plus, isn't it? That's a 180 plus deer, isn't it? You know, just kind yeah. of coming from the bottom up. So we, th- so we were thinking it was like a one 180s, whatever. And it, and the next day we, we went, we actually tagged the deer, had no way to haul them because we didn't come up in a truck. We came up in a small Jeep or something. So we had to leave the deer there, go back to the farm, get the trailer or whatever, something so we could haul the deer. And left some clothes on him so everything was tagged so he was legal and then left some clothes on him so the coyotes wouldn't ravage him because if you've hunted Alberta, there's lots of coyotes. Yeah, a couple. We came back, hauled him out of there, went back to the farm and uh, got a tape on him the next day. We were just enjoying, we were elated about the whole thing, you know. And uh, his gross was 199 and 5 eighths or something. He wasn't even 200? Wasn't even 200, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then he, but the thing that was special on him is he was a one, maybe it was a 192 and 58 net, something like that. You know, you're getting old when you can't remember the numbers. Yeah. But he netted to be Alberta's uh, number two typical, you know? So that was, that was obviously very special, but it was, uh, yeah, there was a lot to the story. And of course, the, the anxiety and uh, just. <laughs> Being an opportunist too, I mean, I always give Doug the, Doug the credit for the setup. Obviously, he saw the deer and he did the tr- the tree stand. But when I went in there, I said, "Okay, I have got to be on this to make this work." So that was the that was the gist of the story, and it was pretty pretty special to say the least. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of key moments there where you know you had to use some real skill recognizing okay i can't draw it this time i can't you know oh, yeah. wait till he makes noise i i know where my wind's going i gotta hit him before that that's where it can go from a dream to a nightmare oh yeah real quick and he was right on the edge of taking it all away it was right on the edge i mean it couldn't have, it couldn't have been any tougher for me because i lost the visual that i needed in the slough grass and then he went east and walked away and then he's headed north and then he didn't stop and then he did stop and and the sound actually that i had heard that i that the, the double hit was actually the arrow zipping through him and the arrow hitting the slough grass so which i figured out later but it was such a weird sound that it sounded like it was a weird miss or something you know yeah but and then it was a it was a good it was a good lung hit obviously he made it ninety yards and piled up and it's funny because Doug was in the tree and he was at full draw because he could hear this deer running at him and he knew that if I had shot that I was obviously shooting at something decent so he was just ready in case something came through that was a giant that was still running which he would have been shooting naturally because yeah. he was even if I had missed he'd yeah. be shooting you know so it was pretty it was pretty <laughs> pretty unique anyway yeah oh my gosh yeah. So now, now with it being me and Chris's last day tomorrow, then 
we want to fulfill our dreams too. Okay. Okay. So if you can make that happen, okay. we would greatly appreciate that. So you I think now is the time to <laughs> take the rope off yeah. the deer. That's it. The owl. That's, that's, it. that's all we're asking for. Well, that, that's the thing that's funny about this place is, uh, you know, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen the next day, but I can't tell you how many times guys come up here and say, I've never seen such a deer. You know, I've never seen a deer like that. And, uh, I lose track of who says what because it happens reasonably often. But, I mean, Chris, I know you saw a real good one a couple nights ago, I think it was. And yep. I can't remember if it was a 170 or a 180s or something that's pushing 190. I know when you were up here four years ago that you saw one on your first sit that you figured it was in the well in the 190s. Yeah. But first that, hour, first sit. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> I go think figure. I saw that deer the next year. That's the yeah. one I saw because yeah. he ate it. But that's the thing that's neat about, you know, when you let these deer grow and we're very blessed to be at a latitude, you know, a Canadian latitude where you have these big animals to survive the winters and the, the antlers, of course, to go with it. And then the lack of harvest and us really trying to look after the deer, you yeah. know, like with ethical shooting and, and obviously, like I already said, letting smaller deer walk, but you know, it's pretty special for us. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the, you know, the hunting is really interesting how we hunt to, take big deer but when you love these deer you really want to look after them and you know in the winter months you want them to have food so they have easy winters and and uh you spend more time looking after them than you do hunting them yeah yeah no definitely it's it's yeah. it it shows uh, quite a bit and i mean even in your one of the things in the agreement is there's absolutely zero shots past 40 yards and that's doesn't matter if you're the best shooter in the world or or whoever you are, I mean, that's, that's your limit. And that's to make sure that you put an ethical shot on, on these deer. And I respect that, that you have that and it's serious about it. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you respect that you respect the, the deer obviously. And that's the, that's the, um, the most important thing, but you all, you also respect your fellow bow hunter. I mean, if you have some, somebody that's taking long shots and not making a good hit and we never see that deer again, it's a very selfish thing to do. First and foremost, in the well-being of the deer, and we're trying to make surgical, uh, ethical kills when it's time. You know, we're meat eaters, and uh, I apologize to no one for being on earth and eating meat and uh, enjoying uh, harvesting it. But in addition to that, you also want to look after the guys that I, I, I have the opportunity to hunt with or hunt with us, looking after the other guys that hunt with us and not being self-centered on taking a long shot and wounding a deer, taking it away from the other guys. Yep. Nope. Totally makes sense. Well, I, I appreciate you guys coming on and talking again. It, it was a it was a good conversation, and and I've had a great week at camp. Uh, we uh, it's it's constant just bashing each other out of good fun, and that's that's uh. It's it's funny when when Jim was coming to pick me up last night. He was laughing because he said he was laughing to himself because he was thinking of the things he was going to say to me, uh, <laughs> to make fun of me in some sort of way. And as I was doing the same thing in my head, thinking about it's open season up here in a few different ways, I guess. Hey, Bo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, we've been having a good time, and if you're not giving the guys, your fellow bow hunting buddies, a, a hard time, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. I think, so I agree. Well. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bo, thanks for the invite. It's been a pleasure as always, and and continued good luck with your podcast. It sounds like you're getting rave reviews. I'm hearing from other sources, and good for you. Appreciate Congratulations. it. Congratulations. Yeah, he's at 50. 
<laughs> yeah, and don't forget to, yeah. to look up the, the sales badger. All right, see you guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.